interesting comment. Don't talk, be. Now, in the being, obviously, the talking uh, uh, has the opportunity to occur. We're in the marketplace here. What does it mean to be Jesus? What does it mean to be like Jesus? What does it mean to be Christ-like? The early church was, and they changed the world by being like Jesus. What does it mean as a teacher to be Jesus in your classroom? What does it mean for an aged care worker to be Jesus? What does it mean to be a parent and be Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian student and be Jesus? Well, we could sit down. Uh, we're not where well, we are sitting down, but we could set up a whiteboard and I could get the marker out and we could probably come up with a substantial list of Jesus' qualities his character qualities and so on. But is that answering the question, what does it mean to be Jesus? What if it could be reduced to two? A two-point checklist for all those that like things ordered and sequential, two points could be manageable. And yet those two points are contained in John chapter 1, verses 14 and 17. We're going to read it, I'm going to read it to you, probably one of the most extraordinary introductory chapters to a book, written by John, who, who had the ability to be able to paint a theological portrait of Jesus Christ. And it starts, in the beginning, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been seen. And in him was life, and the light was the darkness of, man, of all mankind. And we've been singing about this this morning, and the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. If Damien was to kill the lights here and we were to shut the doors, this would be a very dark place. But that's the world we live in. It's in darkness. There is no degree of darkness. Degree of darkness. It's dark. It's light that has degrees. And then verse 14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The baby born in Bethlehem that we've celebrated not too long ago was the creator of this universe. He pitched his tent on this humble, humble camping ground called earth. And God's glory no longer dwelt in a tabernacle which has already been referred to this morning, this approach to God that was, that was significant to be able to do it. He no longer dwells in a temple but he dwelt in Christ. In fact, Jesus became that Holy of Holies. And when Jesus ascended to heaven there in the book of Acts, the beginning of Acts there, he left his Holy Spirit and we have become his living temples. Jesus said, if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. Could it be said of us, if they've seen us, they've seen Jesus. Moses gave the law, he gave truth. But Jesus brought grace and truth. 
He says, full of grace and truth. 100% grace, 100% truth. We, we struggle, we wrestle with that because we would think 100% and 100% is 200%, but it's not. He was full up, overflowing of both grace and truth. And it ran through all of his ministry. And at times when you look at this combination of grace and truth, it seems messy. Uh, it seems uh, unfair. It seems surprising. And to some, they're even offended by it. However, to you and I, in our fallen nature, we struggle with grace and truth. And it actually appears as a contradiction. And we think it's something to be balanced. It creates a tension. And we tend to uh, head in either one of the directions. And Alcorn refers to it as the grace-truth paradox. It is a paradox. But look what it said of the early church, Acts 4, 32. All the believers were in one heart, in one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus, the Lord Jesus. That's truth. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. That's grace. But if we're going to get a handle on Riverbank Frank's expression, what it means to be Jesus in our marketplace, and we need to wrestle with this, this, uh, this idea of Jesus being full of grace and truth and what that means for us. There's our two-point checklist for being Christ-like. People of grace and truth. When people engage with Mueller College, when they engage with Peninsula Palms, when they engage with the Early Learning Centre, when they engage with the outside school hours care, as ministries of Mueller Community Church, what do they see? Do they see grace and truth demonstrated and lived out? There's been a number of times when decisions have been made that I've seen responses by people on Facebook that says so much for Christian grace as I have a shot at whoever about decisions that were being made. But I think we've got some faulty ideas about what grace is. If we fail the grace test, we fail to be Christ-like. If we fail the truth test, we fail to be Christ-like because Christ was full of grace and truth. And you know what? A grace-starved and truth-starved world needs to see Jesus full of grace and truth. At the end of year lunch for Mueller last year, one departing staff member <coughs> shared that his time here at Mueller was a time of healing. Next week here in our church, we're going to have a celebration Sunday and there's plenty of things that we have to celebrate and we'll be showing a video clip of a student from Mueller College here. We'll hear a testimony of someone who found sanctuary at Mueller College. In fact, grace and truth at work. And for those in the church here, the school will be familiar with who this person is, but for, but for the church it will be such an encouragement for you. Hearing some of the stories of the youngsters in the early learning centres where the centre has become a shelter. For the children whose families are struggling with quite a range of issues. 
And I even heard this week of a young lass who no longer went to outside school hours care, but she would have to come to school with her bag packed ready to go to her father's place after school and she had nowhere to keep it. So she would go around to the outside school hours care and they would provide a place for her bag to be kept. A resident from our care facility weeks before passing away expressed how thankful he was for the care and prayers that he was receiving by being in this Christian community. That's grace and truth at work. And as I thought about some of these stories and other ones as well, I've been drawn to the concept or the thought that our ministries are harbours. They are harbours. Harbours of grace and truth, demonstrating Jesus' love and compassion to those who enter and need shelter, which gives them opportunity to proclaim God's truth. When both occur, that's being like Jesus. We'll come back to that thought soon. But let's look at grace and truth together. Look at the times, that, just briefly, when Jesus engaged with people and if we can get the grid of grace and truth and, and apply that over just a couple of these circumstances, we'll see how he dealt with people. Sinners loved to be around Jesus. They loved him. They enjoyed his company. They sought him out. They invited him to his homes and parties and, and so on. But there were those who detested him for it and ultimately wanted him dead. But it seems messy. And again, it seems unfair. It was uncomfortable. It didn't fit some of the rules of the day. Let me just look at four of them. John chapter 4, let's look at the woman at the well. That was messy. It was culturally messy. It was gender messy. It was just messy. And the disciples felt it and she felt it. Verse 13 of John chapter 4, we see Jesus offering her living water. There was the grace that was being, uh, being offered to her. But it didn't stay there because in verse 16, he then says to her, go and get your husband. That was awkward. That was truth being declared. She didn't have a husband, yes, and Jesus challenged her on that. But through this process of the interaction of grace and truth, it revolutionised her life, went back to her village and said, come and meet this person. John chapter 5, the healing at the pool of Siloam. Verse 6, Jesus says to him, do you want to get well? He's offering the grace there because Jesus was in a position to be able to do something about it. He didn't know it at that time. Great question, do you want to get well? But in verse 14, he comes back to him later on and he tells him to stop sinning. There's truth. The woman caught in adultery. Now, that was uncomfortable. Everything about that story is uncomfortable. Where's the bloke? Paraded before these religious leaders who are only out for Jesus. They did not care one iota about her. And we hear so often even in our Christian talk, verse 11, where he extends grace to her and says, neither do I condemn you. But so often the next part of that verse is dropped off. And he says, now go now, go now and leave your life of sin. Truth, grace and truth. The rich young ruler in, in John, uh, Mark chapter 10 seems so unfair. 
wants to know how to be able to access the kingdom of God. And he says to the rich young ruler, go and sell everything you've got, give it to the poor and follow me. It was too hard for him. Jesus let him walk away. And yet to the thief on the cross on verse uh, 43 of Luke 23, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Just seems unfair. How come that guy had to do that and this guy only had to do this? Well, both are responses of faith, obviously. With truth, Jesus made people aware of their sinful condition, the darkness that they were in. With grace, he offered forgiveness to them, to all those who had come to him in faith. Jesus' journey of grace and truth would ultimately lead him to the cross. And sometimes in our Christian story, that bit's omitted. And for us, a a grace that comes at great cost and a truth becomes one that was worth building our lives on. The problem is that unlike Jesus, we don't do the grace and truth. We tend to do grace or truth. That's why they're intention. We tend to default to one or the other. I saw a funny... look. As, as teachers particularly, you, you live in this grace and truth tension all the time. I mean, we do as life. We do as parents and those sort of things as well. But there's this funny clip of this guy, um, Riley Leonard, his name. I'm sure some of you will probably go back and have a look. And he's a quarterback for a college team uh, in the US and they were towards the bottom of the table and they were playing the top of one towards the top of the table and they beat them. Surprisingly, everyone was surprised. They had to rush onto the field afterwards. And the quarterback, Riley, and the TV cameras are there, he walks over to the cameras and he's so excited, he's so excited, he's so excited, he says, Professor, Professor, I had an assignment due tonight. Please, can I get an extension? And the professor posted a video clip in response. And he said... Congratulations on your outstanding win. We are excited. Well done. However, some of your other teammates planned ahead and they've submitted their assignment. So it's only appropriate that you should have done the same. No extension granted. Grace and truth. We live in it as a tension. Countless mistakes in our marriages, our parenting, our ministries, our other relationships have failed sometimes because we haven't been able to navigate grace and truth. Sometimes they're both neglected. Often we choose one over the other. Last year I was doing Second John with the church here and I used, I used a metaphor, a harbour, up in the northeast of England. I'm just going to reposition that metaphor slightly because it still fits with where I'm going today. On the northeast of England, you'll find a harbour in the town of, of uh, Whitby. Robin and I have been there. Captain Cook did his apprenticeship there. There's an old, old abbey sitting up on the hill. And you'll notice that there are two stone, there are two stone walls that are guiding you into the harbour. And I think uh, Whitby Harbour is a, is a helpful object lesson that'll help bring a little bit of this together. Let's call the northern wall, which is the one, uh, the lower one, let's call that one grace. Let's call the southern wall, the higher one there, truth, grace and truth. 
Now, to the left of the southern wall, you will note uh, uh, the southern wall, the southern wall of truth. You'll notice that there is a submerged rocky shelf. It's actually, in fact, submerged at high tide and becomes apparent at low tide. Many a ship has been wrecked on that, those rocks. But to the right, on the northern wall, uh, there's five kilometres of sandy beach. And many have run aground on the sand. It doesn't matter whether it's sand or rocks, they are both dangerous to the ships. And they are a great example of what happens when we tend towards just grace or tend towards just truth. The soft sands of grace without truth and the hard uh, the, the soft sands of grace without truth and hard rocks of truth without grace can both spell disaster. Let's look at them just briefly. Grace without truth. Grace without truth is not Jesus because Jesus was full of grace and truth. It appears to have loads of grace but its commitment to truth is absent or it's low. low. I saw this in some of the rescue ministries in Cambodia. They were high on grace but low on truth. There was little gospel. There was little communication of God's intent. Lots of grace, lots of helping, but little truth. Highest concern uh, is that we get along, that no one feels uncomfortable. Avoid awkward or difficult, uncomfortable conversations. Preserving the peace is a priority and truth-telling is hardly ever done. It never achieves peace, it hopes for, because it doesn't reflect the love of Jesus. Grace-oriented Christians love forgiveness and freedom. But sometimes they neglect the Bible and its authority and they see moral standards as some sort of form of legalism that is being imposed on people. They're strong on grace but weak on truth. And again, I saw that with some of these communities we worked with in Cambodia. They they would teach the Gospels in terms of Jesus but they wouldn't teach the Epistles. Grace without truth breeds moral indifference and keeps people from seeing their need for Christ. And if we have grace without truth, it's not Jesus. And it's susceptible being wrecked on the sands of moral indifference. Truth without grace, that's not Jesus. Appears to be a commitment to truth, but there's very little value on demonstrating grace. Things are to be done correctly. And every flaw and inconsistency is pointed out. There's little room for graciously overlooking the faults of others. Obsessed in noticing sin and vigilant in rooting it out. I call some of those people gatekeepers. And social network has given them a wonderful opportunity for that. Creates a culture of fear and performance and it doesn't reflect the love of Jesus. Truth-oriented Christians may love studying about the Bible, but sometimes they're too quick to judge and they're slow to forgive. They're strong on truth and weak on grace. Truth without grace breeds a self-righteous legalism that poisons a church and its ministries, and pushes people away from Christ. If we have truth without grace, it's not Jesus. And we're susceptible to being wrecked on the rocks of judgmentalism. So the outcome? No grace, no truth? Well, truth without grace, grace crushes people. And it ceases to be truth. Grace without truth deceives people. And it ceases to be, to be grace. Truth without grace generates into judgmental legalism. Grace without truth generates into dishonest tolerance. 
Alcorn says this, he uses the example of the cliff. The truth is quick to post warning signs and guardrails at the top of a cliff, yet it fails to empower people to drive safely and it neglects to help them when they crash. But grace is quick to post ambulances and paramedics at the bottom of the cliff, but without truth, it fails to post warning signs and build guardrails. In so doing so, it encourages the very self-destruction it attempts to heal. So what should our communities look like if they're full of grace and truth? If we're to be reflectors of Jesus and we are to be reflectors of grace and truth, uh, how do we maintain, and I've already used the expression, harbours of grace and truth, but how do we continue uh, to be that, uh, that um, being Jesus in the marketplace? Well, there's three things I just want us to think about as takeaways, as it were. First of all, grace and truth are embedded in the gospel. At the core of the gospel is grace and truth. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. For us here this morning who are Christians, it's only grace that brings us here. That's the only thing we have in common. And as a group of people, we probably wouldn't normally hang out with each other. But it's grace that brings us here. It's grace that's established this works on these campuses here. It's grace that brought us salvation. It's by grace we have been saved. But John 8.32 says, and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Grace saves, truth frees. But we could spend the next couple of weeks pulling apart truth because that is a topic for today's culture. What is truth? We created this lie that truth is something you create, it's something you live out, it's something your own, or you're being true to yourself. No, truth. Truth is Jesus, and as revealed to us in the Word of God. One writer said that the bird, a bird needs two wings to fly. With only one wing, they're grounded. The gospel flies with both the wings of grace and truth, not one, but both. And any attempt to soften the gospel by minimizing truth keeps people from Jesus. And any attempts to toughen the gospel by minimizing grace, grace keeps people from Jesus. Grace and truth are embedded in the gospel. Secondly, uh, grace and truth are embodied in Jesus. John 1:17. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. The, the word came there is singular which means that the phrase before there is singular grace and truth are one and it's found grace and truth is found in Jesus Christ Jesus already declared we know in John 14 6 that he is the way the truth and the life John 18 verse 38 Pilate with Jesus standing before him asked that profound question what is truth retorted Pilate Pilate was completely unaware that truth, in fact, was standing before him. Embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for John, the gospel of John there, truth was a person. It's not a set of propositions or a statement of faith. For us Christians, truth must be relational, not merely propositional. In John's theology, just as Jesus was embodied in, in uh, grace was embodied in Jesus, so truth can be embraced and experienced only in the person of Jesus Christ. 
And Christian truth is truly Christian when it's demonstrated in sacrificial love that flows out of grace and truth. Thirdly, grace and truth are empowered in us by the Holy Spirit. Well, that's good news. Grace 16, uh, John 16, verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. He is the game changer. It's not about me trying to be grace and truth because it's impossible. My default will go towards one or the other. We've been given the Holy Spirit who lives through us. That's his witness. We can't muster up grace and truth. You can't wake up tomorrow morning, I'm going to be, I'm going to be more gracious in my classroom tomorrow morning. We can't try harder. We can't exert more willpower. We can't learn a new strategy or go to a conference or whatever. Grace and truth will flow from God's people as we abide in him, like a branch abides in the vine. This then allows the Holy Spirit to live out grace and truth in our lives. What a relief. It's the Holy Spirit doing it. We live in such a divided, chaotic culture. So did the first century church as well, mind you. Pick any topic. Politics, race, gender. They seem to be a few of the conversations out there that are complicating the Christian message and, and we'll get nowhere if we just try and deal with it as a set of propositional truths. If our biblical theology is a lived truth, loving the least as Jesus and lost as Jesus did, then each of these issues is an incredible opportunity to demonstrate the grace of Jesus in love which leads to the truth of Jesus that liberates. That's our calling. That's what's happening here on this place as a function of this church. Today is a commissioning service, a time to commit the on-campus ministries to the Lord for the year. These ministries were established to bring, from John 1 verse 4, life, grace, and light, truth, to our community here. That's the gospel. That's what we're about. John 1 verse 14 in the message says that the word became flesh and moved into the neighbourhood. As representatives of Jesus, we have moved into this neighbourhood and we have established these various ministries of harbours of grace and truth. We're in fact acting as lighthouses to Jesus, a place where grace is extended and truth is proclaimed out of which the love of God will flow to all those who cross the threshold. Our mission here at MCC is to love, gather and go. It's on the banner behind me. One thing that we notice about the way Jesus loved others was he created community through the love, through that love and he demonstrated grace and truth in every relationship. So too with the early church. Grace and truth were held together and created these communities of love. Here in 2024, we too need to be communities of love that are held together by grace and truth, making use of every opportunity to demonstrate the grace of Jesus in love, leading to the truth of Jesus that liberates. That's what it means to be Jesus. And that's what we'll pray for this community, for this year, that we will make use of every opportunity 
to demonstrate, Dave, if you want to come up, to demonstrate the grace of Jesus in love leading to the truth of Christ that liberates. God bless you all this year as, uh, as we commence this journey of 2024. Thanks, Dave.